Obviously, since these podcasts are entitled Yeshua Judaism, a definition of Yeshua Judaism is probably going to be helpful. So I'm going to have a couple of podcasts here where I jump right into a definition. Now, bear in mind, this is going to be a basic definition. I'm not going to go into deep detail. That will occur progressively here and there as we go through various podcasts. But this should give you a a pretty good idea of what Yeshua Judaism is and why we actually use that term to define the true, authentic New Testament faith. This definition will be found in a two-part article on the TorahMessiah.org website, Yeshua Judaism Part 1 and Yeshua Judaism Part 2. They'll be shown on the studies page as basically Yeshua Judaism versus Orthodox Judaism. And I'll be going through the part one discussion. So here we go. Yeshua Judaism, part one. Motivation, purpose, and general definition. So what is Yeshua Judaism? Why does it need to be discussed? What motivation guided my studies? To introduce the topic, I will answer those three questions in reverse order. First, what motivation guided my studies? Now, I detail my own personal journey on the About Us page of the TorahMessiah.org website, and I'm not going to get into it here. Basically, I decided at that point in my life, this was approximately 30 years ago, that I really needed to stop being such a hypocrite. And my sole objective, actually, was just to be a better, more devout Christian. Soon after beginning my studies, however, I realized something was terribly wrong. I realized that Christianity is seriously flawed, very seriously flawed. I am one of those people who never accepts what someone else's opinion is regarding crucial topics which impact my eternal destiny unless I first verify their opinions through my own personal study. Sadly, very, very few Christians possess that characteristic, and instead, generally they allow themselves to be led down whatever path they are directed or what best satisfy their own personal emotional needs. Of course, if it fits their needs, they will defend it as truth, and reality is forsaken. Basically, reality and truth is overridden by their own personal needs and desires. I discuss why most Christians are really Christians in a separate discussion on the Torah of Messiah website, and I will probably, almost certainly, eventually have a podcast of that discussion. Suffice it to say that the overwhelming majority of Christians never, and I do mean never, actually undertake a sincere unbiased search for truth. Instead, they usually adopt their their faith for a variety of reasons, none of which, absolutely none of which, involved an earnest, dedicated, and necessarily detailed personal effort to find and seek truth, a truth that may and almost always does differ with what they selfishly feel is right. I, like most Christians at that time when I first began my real in-depth search for truth, 
had never read the entire Bible cover to cover, since Christianity, as we all know, emphasizes only the New Testament. I discuss the severe and tragic error within Christianity of de-emphasizing the Tanakh, which Christianity irreverently calls the Old Testament, within a discussion which defines what is true Holy Scripture. Anyway, I quickly realized after beginning a cover-to-cover reading of the Bible that the foundational anti-Torah or anti-law position of Christianity is profoundly unbiblical. I also realized that the God-in-the-flesh Messiah doctrine is horribly false and, frankly, blatant idolatry. Many discussions on the Torah Messiah website delve into that last topic, that is, proving that Messiah or Christ is not God. However, within this Yeshua Judaism discussion, I'm not going to get into that. Before going any further, particularly for those of you who are Christians, which most people who listen to this material probably are Christians, and that is my primary target audience, before going further, I need to define the term Torah. What is Torah? If you're confused by my use of the term Torah, which most Christians grievously oversimplify as being law or the law of Moses, please consider reading the discussion on the Torah Masara website in which I prove the legitimacy and necessity of oral Torah. To limit the size of this specific discussion, I will not include that material here, and I also will have podcasts in the future in which I will go over that material. The oral Torah discussion is quite lengthy, therefore, I suggest that if you go to that material, scroll down within it to the section entitled Torah Defined. It's about one-third of the way through the article. It may appear a bit confusing to Christians. However, I cannot overstress the importance for Christians to grasp a correct definition of the term, that is the term Torah, since Christianity's leaders, usually unintentionally, misrepresent the meaning of Torah and continuously lead Christians astray. Frankly, the entire law versus grace debate within Christianity is, in part, caused by a misunderstanding and oversimplification of law. That's often due to a Torah-ignorant misrepresentation of the New Testament, particularly the writings of the Apostle Shaul or Paul, Paul is horribly misrepresented by Christianity. Continuing, upon irrefutably concluding the severity of Christianity's many errors, I began a lengthy search for truth that, so far, has lasted approximately 30 years. Yet the search never ends. I amassed a large print library and gigabytes of additional material. Ultimately, I discovered that the true New Testament faith was, and should still be, a Torah-based faith. However, for obvious reasons, that is, obvious reasons to Christians, I was very hesitant to convert to Judaism, which I call Akiva Judaism, which is basically Rabbinic or Orthodox Judaism, 
and I will discuss later why I call it Akiva Judaism. Unfortunately, many who undertake a similar search that I did do convert to Judaism, at which point they think that their search has reached its conclusion. They are seriously mistaken. And because the search is too rigorous, lengthy, or socially and emotionally draining for them to endure, they terminate their search before they reach the actual destination of Yeshua Judaism, the actual destination of true Torah truth. Many ex-Christians ill-advisedly have and are converting to Akiva Judaism, or Rabbinic Judaism, which of course requires them to discard completely their faith in Yeshua, or Jesus, and the New Testament. The number of such conversions is higher than most Christians can imagine, and an increasingly common occurrence. Nevertheless, I began and pursued my search determined not to allow bias to prejudice my findings. Therefore, I stuck by my no-bias convictions and dove into Judaism's material to discover Torah. Searching within Christianity's material proved useless, since it is totally void of any legitimate and honest knowledge on the topic of Torah. Finding useful and, more importantly, truthful Torah discussion within Christian material is like looking for a large and beautiful sea in the middle of a bone-dry, parched desert wasteland. In other words, it isn't there. You're not going to find anything. Thus, my only option was to wade into the Torah-rich plush sea of Judaism's Torah material, and I dove deeply into that sea. I'm still swimming within its depths and discovering the true wonders of the deep. I found myself inundated with magnificent truths I had never heard within Christianity, many magnificent truths, and explanations and clarifications on things that Christianity, frankly, can't touch, all of which helped clarify not just the Bible in general, but the New Testament also. Yes, my friends, Torah helps clarify the New Testament, especially oral Torah. Many questions that Christianity is unable to answer are answered within Torah, especially oral Torah. The more I studied, the more amazed and thankful I became for what God had led me to discover. I was and am and always will be eternally grateful to God for heeding my desperate and sincere prayers to be shown the truth. However, while swimming in the Torah-rich seas of Judaism, I also found sea monsters. Serious, deadly sea monsters. I will not go into the specifics now, since that is the intent of the Yeshua Judaism series of discussions that I hope to expand upon. Rest assured, God willing, I will go into the details with a later podcast. Hastening along, I realize that the original faith of and in Yeshua the Messiah, or Jesus the Christ, was and is a sect of the Torah faith of Judaism. I thus coined the term Yeshua Judaism, 
to describe it and present details as to why that term is used further on into this podcast. For the foreseeable future, and God willing, a growing list of discussions within the Yeshua Judaism series will be the central focus of the Torah Messiah website, and particularly of these Yeshua Judaism podcasts. Please return periodically to check for new material. All right, now, the next question that we posed early on in this succession. And that question is, why does it need to be discussed? Why does Yeshua Judaism even need to be brought up and talked about? This question is simple and easy to answer. If, and that's a big if, a person truly wants to, quote, follow Christ, close quote, he or she should strive to mimic as closely as possible the Yeshua the Messiah's or Jesus Christ example. Simple, right? That seems to be common sense. Well, apparently not. I discuss in a separate article, which is found on the TorahMessiah.org website, and I will also be having it in podcast form, the fact that Christianity definitely does not teach Christians to follow the example of Messiah. It absolutely does not teach that. In fact, it teaches to oppose the example of the very Christ that it fraudulently calls God. It teaches Christians, Christianity teaches Christians to not follow Messiah. You may be thinking, that's not true, that's a lie. Uh, read the material, listen to the podcast, it is very easy to prove, very, very easy to prove that Christianity actually opposes following Christ. So, how can a person know how to follow Christ and practice the true faith as demonstrated by his original followers if the faith practices of those followers are ignored? Let me ask that question again. How can a person know how to follow Messiah and to practice the true faith as demonstrated by his original followers if the faith practices of those followers are ignored or discarded? Answer, you can't know. You must discover how and what they believed, what the original followers of Messiah believed and practiced. You must discover that if you truly want to follow Christ. Therefore, the need for a discussion such as this is utterly and indisputably required. It is very simple. If you sincerely wish to accept Christ, you must discover the true faith of and in Messiah. It is not an option. It is a raw and undeniable necessity. All right, now we'll delve into the details of Yeshua Judaism. As I've suggested earlier, this initial discussion of Yeshua Judaism will only touch upon the definition while also hopefully allowing you to discern somewhat accurately what it truly is. Before jumping straight into the specifics of Yeshua Judaism, we first need to uncover the history of what I call Akiva Judaism, 
which is commonly known as rabbinic or orthodox Judaism. For the duration of this particular series and this podcast, I will most often use the more accurate label of Akiva Judaism in place of the more common terms. However, I will clarify it from time to time so people will know what I mean when I say Akiva Judaism. I use the term Akiva Judaism to simply distinguish it from the more authentic and Torah-compliant Yeshua Judaism. There is a somewhat unknown and often false narrative that for centuries has been advanced by rabbis of Akiva Judaism or Orthodox Judaism, which needs to be exposed to the light of historic truth. Now, let me pause for a brief disclaimer, a very important disclaimer. Before entering the discussion any further, I want to clearly, loudly, and with deeply loving gratitude express my many thanks and admiration for the devotion, courage, intellect, and love of God displayed by rabbis from whom I have learned truths for which eternity itself does not allow a proper thank you. Though I have very strong disagreements with them in various areas, I nevertheless am absolutely certain of their love for God and of Torah. The Apostle Paul, Shaul is his Hebrew name, stated with love that the Jews, particularly Jewish spiritual leaders, are blinded by God. It is not their fault. And they're blinded until the time determined by the Eternal One to lift the blindness. Now, I do not say that as a derogatory or patronizing sting inflicted upon the rabbis. Quite the contrary. I say it out of the sincerest feelings of love and admiration of what they are not blinded to which is a lot more than what they are blinded to. Indeed, Christians and Christian leaders are far more blinded than are the faithful followers of Akiva Judaism and their rabbis. Thus, despite my direct, oftentimes seemingly offensive statements, I nevertheless have immense respect for the rabbis and have no doubt whatsoever that they will be rightly rewarded in the eternal world to come. Olam Haba. God is using them mightily, and they have been and are accumulating much deserved merit. They have been and are the guardians of God's Torah, doing so while under the harshest persecutions ever recorded, usually from Christians They have corrupted the Torah somewhat, that is, these rabbis, in my opinion, but their corruptions pale in comparison to the truths they have maintained or the corruptions of Christianity. Christianity has done far more to corrupt God's word than have the rabbis. However, they are but men, that is, the rabbis, even their sages, They are not God, even though Akiva Judaism essentially gives its founders, that is, its sages, God-like authority. 
Therefore, like me, they are imperfect and have beliefs which need to be questioned. Something Akiva Judaism devotees generally dare not do if it entails questioning their chazal, that is, the revered sages of Judaism. Now, a very brief history of Akiva or Orthodox Judaism. A very brief history of its origins. What is commonly known today as Judaism is actually not, and I repeat, not the precise Torah faith that existed before and during the time of Yeshua in the first century. Today's Judaism was begun after the Roman destruction of the Second Temple by a group of Yeshua-opposing Pharisaic rabbis who escaped Jerusalem. One of the most famous of those rabbis faked his own, his own death and made a deal with the Roman general and later emperor Vespasian to escape with some of his co-conspirator Pharisaic friends. And by the way, when he did so, he left all his Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem to perish. He abandoned massive numbers of his fellow Jews to be slaughtered. All right, let's put this event in perspective by way of an example. Imagine that there is a rabbi, a great rabbi, in the concentration camps of Germany during World War II. Of course, the rabbi knows, because he sees it every day, that people are being slaughtered by the Nazis in that horrific, hellish, satanic event of the Holocaust. Now, this rabbi sees this every day, just like Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai saw the siege. He was living in Jerusalem under the Roman siege every day. He knew what was going on. Now, this rabbi in the concentration camps decides that he wants to be able to leave and start a yeshiva, a Torah study school, and he wants to be able to take a small handful of fellow rabbis who were there imprisoned in the concentration camps. He wants them to go with him to teach and assist him in the yeshiva, in the Torah study school. So this rabbi goes to a general who's in charge of the concentration camps and makes a deal with the general. The deal basically allows him, that is the rabbi, and his handful of friends to escape and leaves his other fellow Jews to be slaughtered. What would people think of that rabbi? What would you think of the rabbi? Indeed, what would any rabbi today think of that rabbi? They would almost certainly consider that rabbi to be a selfish coward who abandoned his own people for his own personal gain. My friend, the rabbis today of Akiva Judaism can parse it however they want, but that is exactly what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai did. Ironically, I mean, and very strangely, whether he was right or wrong, that same rabbi who betrayed his own people is highly revered in Judaism as one of their Tanaim the most revered of Judaism sages. The guy betrayed his own people, and Judaism exalts him to the highest levels as a rabbinic sage. I provide in the written material a link 
to the Chabad.org website, which is an Orthodox Judaism website, which tries to put a positive spin on the account by portraying his betrayal as an act of courage and wisdom. Abandoning his own people was a good thing? You be the judge. As suggested earlier, that rabbi was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And that is but one historic fact of many that I hope to expose in various discussions which highlight the assorted oddities present within Akiva Judaism. Very strange things within Akiva Judaism. People that you normally wouldn't think should be revered are revered. And Yochanan ben Zakkai is not the only one. Okay, I mentioned the word Tanaim. I won't go into details. Tanaim is basically the plural of the singular term Tana, which basically represents the rabbinic sages whose views are recorded in the Mishnah. From approximately 10, or they were around from approximately 10 CE to 220 CE. That's the period of the Tanaim. It's referred to as the Mishnaic period. Some of the guys among the Tanaim were contemporaries of Yeshua and the apostles, and all the earliest followers of Yeshua. I mean, think about that. The founders of Judaism that we have today likely knew or were one generation away from, from knowing Yeshua and the apostles and all the original followers. It is a virtual certainty that some of the Pharisees, in which the New Testament records Yeshua and the apostles displaying firm disagreement and conflict, were either the Tanaim themselves, or their disciples, or their co-students. Such facts of history provide clues and clarity as to why they were so fiercely opposed to Yeshua and his original followers, and for Akiva, or Orthodox Judaism's continued intense hostility towards Yeshua up to the present day. I'll discuss that more in other discussions. Those rabbis who escaped with Yochanan ben Zakkai were spared death in Jerusalem as a result of his questionable deal with Vespasian, and they gathered in approximately 90 CE in Yavne, Israel, under the leadership of Rabbi Gamaliel II. He's the grandson of Gamaliel I, also known as Gamaliel the Elder, by the way, whom, and he was the, the teacher of the Apostle Paul, Gamaliel I. Now, Zakkai, Yochanan ben Zakkai, worked to restructure, basically to completely change what up to that point had been the Torah-based faith. Focus was entirely shifted from the temple to the synagogue, with the leaders of the synagogue, that is the rabbis, giving themselves total control. People, Yochanan and Zakkai and some other rabbis completely changed the Torah faith. Among the most important changes brought about by Yochanan ben Zakkai and the other founders of Akiva Judaism was an unprecedented, massive power grab by those rabbis. 
Previously, and up to that point, though the Pharisees did hold a measure of political and communal power, absolute centralized power under rabbinic control had never existed throughout the entire history of Israel. However, after their enormous alterations, they ensured that they would become the sole authorities with no one to threaten their grip over Judaism. As a result, Judaism became an authoritarian dictatorship with the rabbis establishing themselves as the undisputed dictators. Beginning in 90 CE, the rabbinic ruling oligarchy began to take shape. That is what happened. And again, if any rabbi tells you otherwise, my friend, they're either a fool or they are lying to you. The rabbis in Yavne effectively created a new religious system with themselves as the unopposed dictators whose authority it is forbidden to truly question. Since the creation of that rabbinic religion, Torah has expanded to include innumerable rabbanans, which are rabbinic dictates generally considered equal to God's written Torah. What is commonly called Judaism today is a faith that, as mentioned before, was created after the Second Temple destruction. It is savagely anti-Yeshua, anti-New Testament, and based upon the opinions of a specific highly esteemed man, Rabbi Akiva, and a small number of rabbis who followed him or with whom he agreed. Their opinions are found within the Mishnah. One of Akiva's very wealthy followers in the later 2nd century, who happened to be a dear friend of the Roman emperor of that time, Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, acquired, parsed, and ultimately compiled the Mishnah. The Gemara, which is also based exclusively upon the biased opinions of that Akiva-based sect within Judaism and which represents commentary on the Mishnah, was subsequently added to the Mishnah, combined them, and it becomes the Talmud. That is, the Talmud is the Mishnah plus the Gemara. And that is what Akiva Judaism is completely based upon. Now, as stated, today's Judaism, what is commonly known as Judaism today, can legitimately be called Akiva Judaism, or as I often call it, Akivaism. What Rabbi Akiva believed is what the Talmud says, is what is taught today in Akiva Judaism, because the Talmud is a product of Rabbi Akiva's followers. I have and will say this often. Orthodox Judaism is Akivaism. That is a fact. And they don't even deny it. They openly admit that, that everything that they know from Torah came through Rabbi Akiva. In other words, Rabbi Akiva is the sole source of what is taught within Orthodox Judaism today.
That is a fact. And, and you'll find many rabbinic discourses and discussions and audios and YouTube and whatever. You'll find many examples where they admit it. It is a religion that is entirely founded upon the biased opinions of Rabbi Akiva and a small handful of his followers who gathered, parsed, discarded what they disagreed with, and compiled the teachings and books upon which Orthodox Judaism or Akiva Judaism is based, primarily the Talmud, but also numerous other secondary writings. Akiva Judaism worked to guarantee that its specific sect of Judaism would be the only sect of Judaism and has, in various ways, continuously persecuted any other sect which dares to challenge their authority. For instance, the Burkhat Hamanin curse, which was added to the blessings of the Amidah or Shemone Israel prayer by the Pharisees who gathered in Yavne, is one example of such persecution. That curse is still recited every day in the synagogues. We call upon Akiva Judaism to renounce and remove the hateful, shameless Berkat Hamanin curse. The curse just mentioned will be the subject of an entire discussion, possibly multiple discussions, within the Yeshua Judaism series. It is an important issue for a number of reasons, not the least of which is a modern deceitful attempt to rewrite history by some apologist for Akiva Judaism who wish to falsify the record regarding the actual targets of that curse, one of which was, and still is, the followers of Yeshua the Messiah, or Jesus the Christ. However, most practitioners of Akiva Judaism honestly admit the truth. They admit that followers of Yeshua were a target and are a target. May they be blessed for at least being honest and upright. As I said, other articles within the Yeshua Judaism series will expand upon this very brief history. All right, continuing on. Now I'll give a general description, again, of Yeshua Judaism. First, and this is very, very important, it is crucial to note that Yeshua Judaism, what I call Yeshua Judaism, agrees with the vast majority of things taught by Akiva Judaism. It is for that reason that Yeshua Judaism's teachings parallel and agree with Akiva Judaism's in most respects. However, the limited number of differences are profound and so polarizing that compromise is impossible. Respect for one another, however, is possible. May God bring the day that such respect is practiced and recognition of Yeshua Judaism as a legitimate sect of Judaism, is achieved. A very dear friend once asked me to provide a one or two sentence description of Yeshua Judaism, which is actually fairly difficult to do. However, if forced, 
I would have to describe it thusly, and I will at times I will say this throughout various podcasts. Akiva Judaism advances elitism, exclusion, and rabbinic authoritarianism. Yeshua Judaism advances equality, inclusion, and brotherhood. Yeshua Judaism is the authentic Torah faith that Yeshua was sent to reestablish as he, and more importantly, God, witnessed what was and has since increasingly become a burdensome and elitist corruption of Torah by Akiva Judaism. Yeshua sought to reinstill the true intent of God's Torah within Israel, to reinvigorate it by ridding it of its severe elitism, which had occurred due to the arrogant elitist mindset of Judaism's early Pharisaic leaders, and to spread it to all nations and peoples of the world, instead of only among the Jews, as is taught by the elitist leaders of Akiva Judaism. Yeshua Judaism, unlike Akiva Judaism, firmly and irrevocably stands by the truth that God is impartial since he loves all mankind and will instantly embrace anyone and everyone who seeks to draw near to him, Jewish or not, rabbi accepted or not. Yeshua's effort to reestablish, reinstill, reinvigorate, and spread Torah universally is the true reason why, then and now, he was and is utterly despised within the Judaism which was birthed by those previously mentioned leaders. They generally even refused to say his name, preferring to explicitly scorn him with their refusal, despite what some people, including alleged followers of Yeshua, deceitfully claim. Contrary to the typical understanding, Yeshua Judaism predates Akiva Judaism, a fact which is easily proven. Simply stated, I just told you when Orthodox Judaism or Akiva Judaism began, approximately 90 CE and thereafter, and it realistically didn't materialize until the completion of the Talmud, or at a minimum, the completion of the Mishnah, which did not exist until more than a century after Yeshua's death and resurrection. The Talmud itself wasn't completed until the 7th century. However, Yeshua Judaism began and thrived before the Second Temple destruction. Thus, the simple fact is, Yeshua Judaism does indeed predate Akiva Judaism by at least a generation and realistically much longer. Now, I realize Judaism's rabbis and adherents wish to suppress or may not like the facts of history which prove that Yeshua Judaism indisputably predates the commonly known Orthodox or Rabbinic Judaism, which did not exist during Yeshua's life. They will certainly disagree as they attempt to conceal and rewrite the facts of history. But historic facts are facts, and those leaders of Akiva Judaism will just have to deal with it and move on.
It is time for Yeshua Judaism to awaken from the coma imposed by Rome's, that is, Christianity's, grotesque distortion of the New Testament's Torah truth and from Akiva Judaism's elitist concealment of history. It is time for Messiah to return from exile, where, even as Akiva Judaism teaches, he is binding his wounds at the gates of Rome. And he indeed soon will return. The reawakening of the non-elitist Yeshua Judaism Torah truth, long dormant, has arrived. The supreme mission of Israel, which Akiva or Rabbinic Judaism corrupted into a superior position of the Jew, should once again be undertaken with gusto and determination. So what about the New Testament? Well, there really is very little new information or teaching found within the New Testament. If you think otherwise, Mr. or Miss Christian, then you have been victimized by Christianity's bias, anti-Torah foundations, distortions of history, and severe errors of biblical interpretation. In general, the New Testament example shows that Yeshua and his original followers largely adhered to the Torah-based faith that was then common. It is quite possible that among all the major religions of the world, Yeshua Judaism has the least amount of unique teachings from its alleged founder. Yeshua. I say alleged because God is the actual founder of the true faith, the true Torah faith. The only place we can find implicit or explicit teachings from Yeshua are in the Gospels. Most of those are repeated within the Gospels, and generally even they adhere to the widely accepted Torah faith and to Akiva Judaism. When you stack up the examples and teachings of Yeshua, which differ from the then-common Pharisaic Torah-based faith, you end up with a really small stack, most of which is composed of the added burdensome drabanans, or rabbinic dictates, which he generally opposed. Indeed, Yeshua was basically a liberal, non-elitist Pharisee, who opposed unnecessary burdens to be placed upon Torah keepers. Nevertheless, the few differences that do exist are extremely significant and do indeed form a sharp distinction between Yeshua Judaism and the more common forms of a Judaism, then and now, Akiva Judaism. In fact, the differences are actually substantially greater now than they were then due to the continuous additions of rabbinic traditions, that is, the Rabbanans, Takanot, Minhag, etc., that have been included over the centuries. Those terms are defined in the previously mentioned discussion of oral Torah. Most of those Rabbanans, however, even Judaism today admits are not binding while nevertheless strongly asserting them to be implicitly binding. In other words, the rabbis kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth. They'll say, oh, these are rabbinans, these are rabbinic. You don't have to keep them. But if you don't keep them, you're a bad Jew. So the pressure is very, very strong to keep them. All right, so 
What do we look to learn from the fact that there are actually very few, numerically speaking, distinctions between Yeshua Judaism and the typical Pharisaic Judaism of Yeshua's time? How should this obvious and true fact affect and define our faith? What is there to learn from this fact? Does it imply that we have a situation where the differences are trivial? Or are the few distinctions so far-reaching and prominent that common ground is like two patches of dirt on planets located in separate galaxies, meaning not really as common as you might first think? The similarities within the New Testament writings prove conclusively to those who have studied Torah, including and primarily oral Torah, Hebraic context, and the culture of that time, that Yeshua Judaism definitely does and should be very similar to Akiva Judaism. How similar should it be? And where are the distinctions so apparent? These questions will be answered in part two of Yeshua Judaism. Thank you for listening.